Attention, all troops. He's alive. Alive. Welcome to the Rapnolis. I don't know what kind of entertainment seeker you are, but even from an early age, I have been exactly the same in the way I pursue entertainment. I find something I like, I grab onto it, and I bury it into the ground. I watch it to death, listen to it to death, read it to death. Doesn't matter what it is. That's just how I operate. In the early 80s, a movie, unlike any movie I'd ever seen before, came to theaters. It was called Airplane. I was way too young to see it, but I was lucky enough to do so, and it made my week. The problem is, it was in the theaters, then it was gone. What was I to do? Luckily, something came along at around the same time that totally changed the way I bring in my entertainment, and that thing was cable television. One of the movies that was running on HBO when I first got it was Airplane. I didn't realize how good cable TV was going to be until 8 o'clock on a Thursday night I was pushing the buttons and flipping the little lever on our remote control that actually had the wire that ran into another box that sat on the TV, and I saw the intro for Airplane come on. I couldn't believe it. Here it was, the movie I had seen in the theaters and loved, on TV for free. My mind was blown. I was so happy. I watched it that night. I asked my mother for the cable guide that we got, saw that it was on several more times that month, circled every one of them with a pen, put that guide near the couch, and I lived by it like it was my Bible. Of course, I started watching other movies during that time. Meatballs also became a favorite. With the way entertainment is served up nowadays and the experience we have of instant gratification, very hard to duplicate this experience again. It's sort of like when television itself first showed up. Maybe the closest people can get nowadays is when they start getting real entertainment on portable devices, say cell phones. I would have one more experience like this when I had my first exposure to a VCR, which is another podcast I've already done. You know, now that I think about it, I should never say that someone won't get that magic again. I, of course, can't foresee what that magic moment will be, and I hope that I get to live and see it again. But just knowing that the potential for that moment, that aha moment of, wow, the future is here and I am enjoying it, is something everyone should witness in their lifetime. I was lucky enough for it to involve a very, very funny movie, a movie that has stayed with me my whole life, Airplane. And it's the subject I'd like to talk with you about today. On today's show, we'll talk about the movie Airplane. We'll talk about its influences, where it came from, the people behind it. We'll talk about the cast and casting. We'll talk about the plot. We'll talk about the reception, and we'll throw a few surprises here and there. We have an info-packed episode ahead of us, so without further ado, let's start the show.
Airplane is a film released in 1980. It is a surreal, often absurd comedy starring Robert Hayes, Julie Haggerty, Leslie Nielsen, Robert Stack, Lloyd Bridges, and Peter Graves. It was directed and written by David Zucker, Jim Abrams, and Jerry Zucker, collectively known as Zaz. The entire film is lifted from another film called Zero Hour. Now, in the 70s, Zaz, Zucker, Abrams, and Zucker, were writing for a theater company called Kentucky Fried Theater, and they loved to do commercial spoofs. So what they would do is set a video cassette recorder to record late-night television, and while doing so, they taped a movie. That movie was called Zero Hour, which is a 1957 movie written by Arthur Haley, starring Dana Andrews, Linda Darnell, and Sterling Hayden. It was released by Paramount Pictures. It's not a great movie. And if you've seen Airplane, you've actually seen a lot of that movie because a lot of the screenplay in Airplane is a verbatim transfer of Zero Hour. So if you're interested in more about that, just go on YouTube and type in Airplane versus Zero Hour and you'll see side-by-side videos running where you can see the dialogue that's directly in one movie and the other. Of course, Zero Hour is not an absurdist comedy, but it does have a lot of absurd moments, and you'd be surprised at some of those moments, so I suggest you check that out. Now, a lot of the plot of this film is directly lifted from Zero Hour, but the core spoof of the movie is of the Airport Movie series, which is a series of films that ran throughout the 70s, and chiefly is a spoof of Airport 1975 which is a movie that has a stewardess who is forced to land a plane when both pilots are incapacitated and has a girl needing a kidney transplant and a singing nun. But still remember, the core idea for the film is derived from Zero Hour and the remarkable happenstance of them having recorded it. But of course, Airplane didn't start off as the completed product that we see. You see, when Zaz watched what they had recorded, they thought, oh, this is really great. Maybe we could do a spoof about late-night television, do a whole piece that revolves around the late-movie experience. And they wrote a script called The Late Show, which was airplane but with commercials in it. And those commercials were spoofs. People would sit there and read it and said, well, actually what you got in the middle here, the movie itself, is very funny. Why don't you just run with that? So they started shortening the commercials and eventually removed them all. When they'd finished, they couldn't sell the script at all. Meanwhile, their Kentucky Fried Theater was successful enough that there was a movie involved in it. And it is a very funny movie, the Kentucky Fried movie. And it has a strong cult following, maybe not the following that Airplane has, but a pretty strong one. Based on their experiences in the Kentucky Fried movie, Zaz decided that they didn't want to just be a part of Airplane. They just didn't want to sell the script. They wanted to direct it. So they kept pitching the movie. Now, they had started this process in the early 70s and had gone through many iterations. But as the late 70s approached, another movie called Animal House came out, which was a huge comedy. And Zaz decided that they would try to pitch the movie as Animal House on a plane, which it's not. But that worked for the studio execs, since they understood that at least that was a zany comedy. Zany comedy sell, airplane will sell. They got green-lighted, and they started casting. Today's show is brought to you by Loans. Can't afford that plane ride? Take out a loan. When your bills are substantial And you really need a friend When your problem is financial You have a friend 
without loans. So Zaz gets the green light and now it's time to cast. David Zucker explained that the trick was to cast actors who had never done comedy up to that point since they thought that their straight way of delivery would actually be a lot funnier than what other comedians were doing at the time. Even back in 1974 they had wanted Robert Stack to be in the movie and he was considered the linchpin for the entire film as the character of Rex Kramer. Initially Stack wasn't interested in doing the film. He thought, well, it's just another throwaway comedy. But Zaz was not going to give up on their linchpin and persuaded him to be a part of the movie. Other key people, like Lloyd Bridges, was persuaded by his kids to take the part. So then they come to what I think is the most difficult sell, which is Robert Graves. And I say it's difficult because Graves is basically going to be playing a pedophile as the pilot of the movie. But somehow... Zaz's charisma and ability to talk to these actors and persuade them and show them that this is good stuff, no matter what, wore Graves down, and he took the role. They would cast two unknown properties in the lead roles. Robert Hayes, who at that point was probably best known as the co-star of the TV show Angie, and Julie Haggerty, who had been doing some theater, had been cut from her initial movie, and had done some modeling. We'll talk about the rest of the cast in a couple of moments, but I want to talk a little bit about a lot of these Easter egg casting of cameos in the film. Some of them you might know, others you might not realize. David and Jerry Zucker are in the movie right at the beginning. They play the ground crew who accidentally direct the 747 to go through the terminal window. Abrams plays one of the religious zealots that you see in the film. David and Jerry's mother is the woman who tries to apply makeup in the film as it shifts around. Always cracked me up when I was a kid. Barbara Billingsley shows up in the film as a woman who can speak jive and steals the movie at that point. Oh, Stewardess, I speak jive. Oh, good. Maureen McGovern appears as Sister Angelina, and this is a spoof of her appearance as a nun in the film Airport 1975. Jimmy J.J. Walker has a small part as the man opening the hood of the plane and checking the oil before takeoff. Ethel Merman, in what would become her last film appearance, plays a shell-shocked male soldier who is convinced that he is Ethel Merman, which makes sense since he happens to look a lot like Ethel Merman and can sing like Ethel Merman. Oh. 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 What's his Lieutenant Hurwitz. Severe shell shock. Thinks he's Ethel Merman. You'll be swell. You'll be great. Gonna have the whole world on a plate. Starting here. Start now. Honey, everything's coming up. Probably the most famous cameo in the film is by 
NBA all-star Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, who plays the co-pilot Murdoch. We actually find out that he is not the co-pilot, but he is Abdul-Jabbar, living a secret double life. Maybe he's flying to each game himself in the guise of a co-pilot. We almost didn't get Kareem Abdul-Jabbar in the role. The part was originally written for Pete Rose, baseball player, but due to Rose's schedule, he had to decline the role. Abdul-Jabbar was offered $30,000 to appear in the film, but he asked for 35000 so that he could buy this oriental rug that he had his eye on. And I have to admit, I've seen the oriental rug, and it really brings the room together. Having Abdul-Jabbar or Pete Rose in the movie was a direct reference to the movie Zero Hour, where Elroy Crazy Legs Hirsch appeared as a pilot in the film. So more about the main cast. Robert Hayes played Ted Stryker. Robert Hayes wasn't the only one up for the role, but he didn't land it. David Letterman tested for the role of Ted Stryker, and in a very famous appearance on David Letterman's show, Jerry Zucker played his screen test for the role. David Letterman was not happy with that. The audience at home and in the theater, though, loved it. Fred Willard, famous comedian, turned down the role of Ted Stryker. And this is an odd one. Barry Manilow was reportedly considered to play the role of Ted Stryker. An odd choice, but maybe there was some planned musical numbers that I wasn't aware of. So Hayes, at that point, was most famous for being on Angie at the same time. He was born in 1947, probably best known for his role in Airplane and Airplane 2, and has done some TV and voice work since then, did some directing. If you're a fan of the Marvel Comics adaptation of Iron Man from 1994 to 96, he was the voice of Tony Stark. Julie Haggerty played Elaine Dickinson. This was the film debut of Julie Haggerty. She was born in 1955 and was a model and made her off-Broadway debut in 79. She continued appearing on stage, taking lots of small roles, before landing a role in the movie All That Jazz. But her part was very small and was cut out of the finished film. After that, she was cast in Airplane, and that became her movie premiere. Leslie Nielsen played Dr. Barry Rumack. Nielsen was not the only one up for this role. According to his own autobiography, Christopher Lee states that he turned down this role in Airplane. Leslie Nielsen was born in Canada in 1926, and he passed away in November of 2010, appeared in over 100 films and 1,500 television programs over the span of his massive career. And to me, he will always be Commander John Adams from Forbidden Planet. Great talent. Peter Graves played Captain Clarence Ober. He was born Peter Arness in 1926, passed away in March of 2010. He's probably best known for his role in the CBS television series Mission Impossible, which he was in from 1967 to 1973. Lloyd Bridges played Steve McCroskey. Bridges' Steve McCroskey role spoofs his role as the airport manager in the TV series San Francisco International Airport. Lloyd Bridges was born in 1913. He passed away in 1998 appeared in over 150 feature films, probably best known for his role as Mike Nelson in the TV series Sea Hunt, which was the most popular syndicated American TV series in 1958. He is also the father of actors Bo Bridges and the dude himself, Jeff Bridges. I have a soft spot in my heart for the role he played on Seinfeld as Izzy Mandelbaum, and whenever I see a senior citizen in workout attire with a headband on, which is much more frequently than I should, I can't help but think of Izzy Mandelbaum. 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 Robert Stack would play Rex Kramer. 
just want to point out that the names, Rex Kramer and Steve McCroskey, were also character names in the Kentucky Fried movie. Now, I'm not sure, but I read that Jack Webb turned down a role in this movie, and I'm not sure what role he turned down. I've been trying to figure that out. But I figure it's either Steve McCroskey or Rex Kramer. I would think it's McCroskey, just because they seem to have everything revolving around Robert Stack in their head. But I also think that the Rex Kramer character is more apt for Jack Webb. Robert Stack was born in 1919 and passed away in 2003. He worked in more than 40 films and was the star of the television series The Untouchables from 1959 to 1963, which is probably what he's best known as. In my head, I hear him always as the voice and host of Unsolved Mysteries, which was a show I was addicted to for a couple of years in reruns. Lorna Patterson played Randy, the stewardess. She's probably best known for her role as Randy, but was also the lead in the television version of the film Private Benjamin. And I think I was one of the only people who seemed to watch that show from beginning to end. Big fan of the movie, too. Steven Stucker played air traffic controller Johnny Henshaw Jacobs. He was born in 1947 and sadly passed away very young in 1986. Played larger-than-life flamboyant characters and was a consummate scene-stealer. He was a member of the Kentucky Fried Theater, which Zaz was a part of, and he was known to always steal the show. He was also one of the first actors to announce that he was suffering from HIV, AIDS, and he passed away from complications of the disease at the very young age of 38. I'm not sure why, but this is my favorite line of his from Airplane. Bad news. The fog is getting thicker. And Leon's getting larger. Rounding out the cast, you had Frank Ashmore as Victor Basta, Jonathan Banks as Gunderson, Nicholas Pryor as Jim Hammond, Barbara Stewart as Mrs. Kramer, James Hong as the Japanese general, Norman Alexander Gibbs and Al White have a special place in my heart because those are the jive-talking guys in the plane. Most of the jive talk between those two guys was improvised because, as the Zaz team has said, they weren't sufficiently conversant in the street language that was jive. So those guys did a great job. Hey, you know what they say. See a brawl to get that booty active. <laughs> Leg it down and smack him. David Leisure played one of the religious people in the film. David Leisure would go on and work on Empty Nest, and probably is best known as Joe Isuzu. Jill Whelan played Lisa Davis. Lisa Davis is the sick child being transported on the plane. Of course, if you're a classic TV nut, you probably know her as the daughter of Captain Steubing on Love Boat. We'll return after these messages. From the Team America collection comes Team America Marauder and his Super Stunt Chopper. Team America with a Super Stunt Dirt Bike sold separately. You can pretend they ride into lots of adventures. And whether you make Team America Marauder ride alone or with another Team America bike, they're ready for your backyard hill climbing, trick riding, high jumping, water splashing stunts. Team America Marauder and his Super Stunt Chopper. Team America with a Super Stunt Dirt Bike sold separately from Ideal. Low fare jet travel isn't the same anymore. My assigned seat. This is a low fare airline? It's complimentary. This is a low fare airline? At America West, every employee is an owner. So with less fare, you get more care. Cocktail? It's part of the service. To Phoenix, the West and Midwest. America.
And now, back to our show. Production on the film was rapid. It took only 34 days to make the film during August of 1979. The plane used throughout most of the film is a Boeing 707, repainted from its TWA livery. But the plane taking off at the end credits of the film is not a 707, but a Boeing 727 trijet. There's a big joke in the film throughout it because this is a jet plane, but the noise that you hear coming from the plane is that of a propeller-driven plane, and it's taken directly from the soundtrack of Zero Hour, and it is the longest-running gag throughout the whole film, and one you might miss if you're not paying attention. The movie begins with a spoof of the film Jaws, with the top of the plane poking through the cloud cover like a shark fin. That was done using layers of cotton on pieces of plywood with a hidden wire track for the airplane to fly around on. If you are a video game nut, you might notice that there is an Atari game being played in the air traffic controller room. The game they are playing is Atari 2600's Basketball, which came out in 1978. Stand by for the most extraordinary chain of events ever swept up into high adventure. Hey, Larry, where's the forklift? Forklift! That's over there for the baggage water. Airplane. Airplane is drama. Uh, this is Dr. Brody at the Mayo Clinic. There's a passenger on your Chicago flight 209 or a little girl named Lisa Davis en route to Minneapolis. She's scheduled for a heart transplant. I want you to make sure that she's kept in a reclined position and that a continuous watch is kept on her IV. Airplane is action. Airplane is romance. I love you, Elaine. I love you. Airplane is music. There is only one river. There is only one sea. Airplane is dancing. Never has the screen been so big. You ever been in a cockpit before? No, sir. I've never been up in a plane before. Peter Graves. You ever seen a grown man naked? Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. My name is Roger Murdoch. I'm an airline pilot. Leslie Nielsen. This woman has to be gotten to a hospital. A hospital? What is it? It's a big building with patients, but that's not important right now. Lloyd Bridges. Johnny, what can you make out of this? This? Well, I can make a cap. Or a brooch. Or pterodactyl. Could you do your own Robert Stack. All right, Steve, let's face a few facts. And we hope you enjoy the rest of your flight. Julie Haggerty. By the way, is there anyone on board who knows how to fly a plane? Can you fly this plane and land it? Robert Hayes. Surely you can't be serious. I am serious. And don't call me Shirley. I've got to get out of here. I've got to get out of here. Come down. Get a hold of yourself. Please, let me handle this. I've got to get out of Get back to your seat. I'll take care of this. Calm down. Get a hold of yourself. Calm down. Get a hold of yourself. Mayday. Mayday. 
the most incredible adventure the screen has ever created. The big news is... Airplane. So a little bit about the plot of the movie. Ted Stryker is an ex-fighter pilot and current taxi driver who became traumatized during some war while flying over Macho Grande. As a result, he can't hold a job and has lost his girlfriend, Elaine Dickinson, played by Julie Haggerty, who is now a stewardess. To try to win her back, he tries to overcome his fears and buys a ticket on the flight she's serving on that's flying from L.A. to Chicago. When he sees her, though, Elaine isn't having any of it. She rebuffs him. The problem is, when on the plane, everybody starts getting sick. And there's a major case of food poisoning going on. The doctor on the plane, played by Leslie Nielsen, discovers that everyone who ate the fish has come down with food poisoning, including the pilots. All the pilots are out. They need someone to fly the plane. Stryker gets up to try to do it. He's not sure what to do. This is a bonding moment between him and Elaine. He gets help from the tower supervisor, Steve McCroskey, played by Lloyd Bridges, and from Rex Kramer, played by Robert Stack. Stryker and Kramer had served in the war together and have to overcome their negative history. As Kramer constantly sends him advice, Stryker is able to overcome his fear and is able to land the plane, saving everybody's life. Stryker's show of courage and overcoming adversity rekindles his love with Elaine, and the two share a kiss at the very end. Throughout that whole story, it is joke, 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 joke. Every five seconds, there is a joke on that screen. If you have never seen Airplane or any other Zazz film, and you're only familiar with modern comedies, you turn this on, be prepared to have a barrage of comedy hit you from all sides. It is quite an experience. For a young kid, it was probably one of the most wonderful experiences because you get a school full of comedy in the first ten minutes, and it doesn't end. After these messages, we'll be right back. Why buy just a video game from Atari or any television? Invest in the wonder computer of the 1980s for under $300. The Commodore VIC-20. Unlike games, it has a real computer keyboard. With the Commodore VIC-20, the whole family can learn computing at home. Plays great games, too. Under $300, the wonder computer of the 1980s, the Commodore VIC-20. Coming soon, Commodore brings you Gorf, the wonder arcade game, and Omega Race in home versions. Right before your eyes, TWA is creating a brand new way for business flyers to fly coast to coast. A business class in a separate cabin with bigger, wider seats than in coach, but fewer seats so you're less crowded. It's TWA's new ambassador class to the East Coast, with enough room for anybody. Even if you're seven foot wide. Or taller. Taller. Little. And now, back to the show. To accompany the film, an LP soundtrack for the film was released by Regency Records, which included dialogue and songs from the film. I know this because my cousins had this album, and I would often listen to it with them. It was narrated by Shadow Stevens, and only featured one scored track, which was the love theme from Airplane, which was composed by Elmer Bernstein. 
which was odd since there were other pieces of music in the movie. It would take 29 years before La La Land Records announced that they would release the first official score album for Airplane, which contained Bernstein's complete score of the film. And if you like movie scores, it's quite stirring for a movie that's a spoof. I suggest you pick it up. The movie is about to come out. They're doing test screenings, pre-screenings, and the response is not great. So Zaz is worried, but the movie's getting a release. When it comes out, it makes back its entire $3.5 million budget in the first weekend. And overall, it earned $83 million at the box office and another $40 million in rentals, making it the highest-grossing film of 1980. And it has received high acclaim since then. If you go online, reviews at aggregate websites are often very high for Airplane. In 2010, the film was selected for preservation in the U.S. National Film Registry by the Library of Congress because it is culturally, historically, and aesthetically significant. And I could not agree more. The film is a wonderful comedy. So wonderful that they would do a sequel in 1982. Airplane 2, colon, the sequel. The film attempted to do what they did with the disaster movie genre, but in science fiction. It has to do with a space shuttle. The plot is very similar. It has William Shatner in it, which is really cool. But while it's very strong, I don't find it as strong as the original. And that's probably because, although the cast reunited for the sequel, the writers and directors of Airplane chose not to be involved. If you have not seen Airplane, what are you waiting for? It's a great movie that will reward you again and again every time you see it. It's as if the people behind it tried to wring every ounce of comedy from the film stock that they had, and almost every time they succeed. If you have a young person in your life or a friend who's never seen it, bring them, because it's a real gift. It's a classic film that gets a lot of play, but might be overlooked by newer generations, and that would be a real shame. In a jet plane, hot gases shoot out of the back of the engine at great speed. Energy for the motion of the gases is supplied by the burning of fuel. The action of the rushing gases causes an equal and opposite reaction, which sends the jet plane forward. And that's how a jet plane flies. Thanks for listening to the show. For more retro fun, drop by the website at www.retroist.com. You can follow me on Facebook and Twitter. I'm at facebook.com slash retroist and twitter.com slash retroist. If you like the music you heard at the beginning of the show, that music was done by Peachy. If you have some musical needs, you can email Peachy at peachy at retroist.com. Thanks for listening to the show, and I hope you have a great weekend. Pushes out in all directions, sideward thrusts are equalized and can't escape from the jet. Gas exhausted through the engine brings an opposite reaction. Give the jet its forward thrust, that's all there is to a jet. The law of motion applied to jets is simply action and reaction. The zooming power the engine gets is simply action and reaction. Newton said it, give him credit, his law of motion still applies. For every action, there is an equal and opposite reaction. And that's how a jet plane flies. And that's that. This has been a retrospective production. Goodbye.